Good morning. I hope everybody is doing well today. I know we're like in full summer swing at this point. School is out. Some of you don't have kids and you don't care about all that, but it's getting hot at the very least. It's starting to get hot and uh, we're going into our summer season. We're going to be doing some different things this summer with the church, starting with, as Jess mentioned earlier, a two-week series called Identify. Uh, We're going to be talking about how to declare our faith in Jesus. Well, at least two ways to do that. (laughs) There are plenty of ways to do it, but we're going to talk about two of them as we go through the series. Uh, Some Summer is an exciting time, but I have to tell you that as a huge sports fan myself, summer can be a difficult time because there just aren't any good sports going in the summer. Are there fighting words? Baseball's going, right? Sorry, Mike. (laughs) No, baseball's okay. I actually watched a little baseball last night, all right? But the, the problem for me is that above all, it's not even close, I'm a football fan above every other sport. It's like football is here and every other sport is here. And we get this one little taste in late spring of football. And I'm not talking about the USFL, okay? I don't know if that qualifies as football. And if you've seen any of that, it's like the minor league football that just started up. Uh, But just a few weeks ago, we got a little tiny taste of NFL football, and that's the NFL draft. All right, when you get when the NFL teams get to pick players out of college or minor leagues, as I like to call it, because that's pretty much what college football has become. But they get to pick the players that are going to be on their team. And it's an exciting time because there's all this hope and joy in who your team is going to pick and how that's going to change your team and all of that. And it's really exciting, particularly in the first round of the draft, because that's when all the premier players are going and being taken. And then it gets a little. Uh, it's a little more, more boring after that when they get into the third round in particular. Um, but the, th- the reason I'm bringing this up is because when, uh, when a player, a college player who has played for whatever team they played for, gets drafted, uh, particularly in the first round, they bring that player out onto the stage. And by that time the player gets to the stage, they already have stuff ready for them. They actually go through, and this time there was this long tunnel this year. They were in Las Vegas, and there was this long tunnel that they had to walk through. And about halfway through the tunnel, as the player was walking up to the stage, there was somebody standing there who handed them a hat. And it was the hat of the team that just drafted them. And so they take that hat, and they had a little mirror right there too, which is, you know, there's vanity for you. But there's a mirror right there, and they take the hat, and they put the hat on, and they looked at themselves in the mirror with that hat on, which I actually thought was kind of a cool moment before they walked out on stage. And when they walked out on stage, the commissioner or somebody would come from off stage and hand to the commissioner a jersey for that team. And that jersey had the player's name on the back already. So they were doing that quick. That's why they had to make them walk down that tunnel. They had to have time to put the name on the jersey. But then the players stood there with their hat on and the jersey in front of them. And it is such a cool moment for that player and for that team because for the first time ever, that player identifies themselves as whatever team it is. And if you're looking, by the way, if you're a sports fan, particularly a football fan, and you want a really good hype moment, something really cool happened in the third round of the draft this year. And I don't know how many people saw it, but in the third round of the draft, when it came time for the Buffalo Bills draft pick, which you guys know, that's my team. All right, I'm a diehard Buffalo Bills fan. Always have been and always will be. Uh, sometimes I may threaten to bail on them, okay? Uh, I won't. I won't. I'm with them. All right, but a huge Bills fan. And in the third round, one of the hosts of Good Morning Football, his name is Kyle Brandt, 
they asked him to come out and announce the third round pick for the Buffalo Bills. And he told everyone, he said, when I come out on stage, I'm not going to be at 100. I'm going to be at 1,000. All right. And he came out on stage and gave one of the most impassioned, exciting draft pick announcements I've ever seen in my entire life. And even if you're not a Bills fan, if you love football, go check out Kyle Brandt's third round announcement for the Bills and it will get you hyped up. It will get you excited just for football in general. It's awesome. All right, but that's the moment when the player comes out, their name gets announced, and they have the hat on, and they have the jersey in front of them. That's the first time that guy is a Carolina Panther. You feel bad for him? <laughs> that's when they're a Carolina Panther. That's when they're a Buffalo Bill. That's when they're a Pittsburgh Steeler. That's when they're a Dallas Cowboy. That's when they're whatever. They, they're now right publicly identified with that team and will be until they get traded or something else happens. There's something transformative, and it's that moment where the player gets to say, I'm with them, and the team says, they're with us. I love that moment. It is really, really huge. We're going to talk today about how to declare our uh, faith in Jesus, how to identify with him. And the first way that we're going to talk about today is much like that, much like when a player walks out and puts that hat on for the first time. Today, we're going to talk about baptism. Now, the most famous baptizer in all of history was a guy named John, all right, John with an H, okay? I think it was a wasted H, but whatever, all right? So John is called John the Baptist, or more appropriately, John the Baptizer, because he did that. He was a camel hair wearing, grasshopper eating, mountain man, all right? John lived out in the wilderness, and John's whole goal in life was to let people know that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He wanted them to know it was time. He was the one who went before Jesus, that prepared the way for Jesus, and he was Jesus' cousin. All right? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, if you didn't already know that. And so John is in the wilderness, and he is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he's trying to get people ready for it. And so he's in the wilderness, eating his grasshoppers, wearing his camel hair, hanging out at the Jordan River, and telling people that they need to repent. They need to repent. And I know that's a church word. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you may not be. But repent means to turn in a new direction, right, to change your mind. He's saying change your mind because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was doing something with people that would express, that would demonstrate this repentance, all right? And so John's out in the wilderness, and he is baptizing people. I feel like if there were a movie, if there were, I don't know if there's ever been a John the Baptist movie, but I feel like if there were, a great person to cast in that role would be Nick Offerman. You guys, anybody know, you know Nick, Ron Swanson from, uh, from Parks and Rec? All right, that guy, he's incredible. Like he's just, he's, a, he's like, a, like a man's man kind of guy. And by the way, if anything were to ever happen to me and they were to do, I don't know why they would do this, but if they were ever to do a movie about my life, I want Nick Offerman to play me. Okay, I just want you to know that right now. I do, right? That, it fits, right? She's saying yes, but she doesn't mean yes. Okay, uh, that's my wife, Jess, by the way. All right, so John is out and he is baptizing people and it is a baptism of repentance, which means when people go to John to be baptized, they are taken and they are lowered under the water and they are raised back out and it symbolizes them turning away from their sins. 
and starting fresh, starting new. Now, this baptism isn't saving them. This baptism, there's nothing magical or mystical that's happening. It's a symbol of the decision that they're making, a decision to repent and turn away from their sins. And so John is in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people. And one day, Jesus comes to where he is. Jesus comes to John when he's at the Jordan River and wants to be baptized. Now, up until this point, Jesus, although he's certainly done, done things, he's, he's about 30 years old at this point, he has, he has done nothing so far that the gospel writers consider noteworthy. All right. He, there's, we don't really know anything about Jesus' life up until 30 years old, except for his birth, which, of course, we talk about in Christmas season. And also uh, one small vignette when he's a young man in his early teens where Mary and Joseph lose track of him and they find him at the temple. But other than that, we know almost nothing about Jesus' life until he's 30 years old, until this moment when John is baptizing at the Jordan River and Jesus shows up. It's not that Jesus hasn't done anything important, but this, this is time to take the field for Jesus. It's time for him to take the field. All right, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read some other things today, but for the most part, we'll be in Matthew chapter 3. All right. We're going to start in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? This is puzzling to John, that Jesus would show up and want to be baptized. Why? Well, John knew Jesus very well. They were cousins. And John was doing a baptism of repentance. So people who were coming were turning away from their sin and turning towards God, symbolized by being lowered into the water and raised out. Well, John looked at Jesus, knew who Jesus was, knew he was the Messiah, and Jesus had nothing to repent of. John was like, you don't need to be baptized. You have nothing to ask forgiveness of because you're completely without sin. You should be baptizing me. This should be the other way around not you being baptized, why would Jesus want to be baptized if he had no sin to repent of? It's a good question. Baptism is a new beginning. It's a symbolic act. Jesus didn't need to repent, but he chose to be baptized. Why? Let's keep reading. Verse 15. But Jesus answered him and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. What an interesting phrase. Thus it is fitting, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus had to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. What that means is that if Jesus did not get baptized, he would not fulfill all righteousness. If Jesus did not get baptized, it would have been sin for him to refuse. Because he knew it's what God wanted him to do. 
He knew it's what he was supposed to do. So if he didn't do it, that would be sin. So he had to do it to fulfill all righteousness. So he looks at John and he says, no, I have to do this. I need to do this so that he would be without sin. Not to repent of his sin, but as a symbolic act of identification with God. And he had to do it. And as he goes on in ministry, he makes it very clear that not only did he do it, but he also expects us to do it. He expects us also to be baptized. Not to forgive our sin, not to wash anything away, but as, as Jesus, who, who instituted a new baptism in this moment. Not a baptism of repentance, but a baptism of identification. And he expects us to do the same as him. He goes on in his ministry, and he, he, he gives this command. And then it's carried on past even his teaching in Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18, famously the Great Commission. Jesus says, he looks at his disciples, Jesus came, this is verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so Jesus says, your job is to go and make disciples and to baptize them. It is an essential step of discipleship. Not essential to our salvation, but essential to our relationship with God, to identify with him the way Jesus did. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching. And tons of people hear this message, this gospel good news message of Jesus Christ and his salvation. The fact that he died on the cross for them, that God sent him, that he died on the cross to pay for their sin, that he rose again on the third day. And when they hear it, it says, now when they heard this, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I believe that was the moment of salvation for them. They were cut to the heart. They believed and trusted Jesus. And then they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So we've been cut to the heart. Now what do we do? What's next? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the wording there is a little bit tricky. It looks like he's saying that if you're baptized, you get baptized so that your sins will be forgiven. That's not what he's saying. For there means a previous statement. So what he's saying is get baptized because you've been forgiven. Okay, repent and be baptized because you've been forgiven already for the remissions or because of the remissions of your sins. And he says, this is what you do. This is what you do next. Not to secure your salvation, but because of your salvation. So we say, Jesus Christ, you have saved me. Now what do you want me to do? Now I want you to repent and be baptized. That's what I want. That's what I want. And if it was God's will for Jesus to be baptized, and it would have been sin for him not to do it, 
hear me clearly, it is God's will for you and me to be baptized if we have put our faith in Jesus, and if we don't do it, that's sin. It's sin to say no to him when he says this is what we're supposed to do. It's not required for our salvation. Our salvation is secured by Jesus Christ on the cross and no works of ours. His work on the cross, his death and his resurrection. But if we are going to be in fellowship with him, if we are going to walk with him, if we are going to be faithful to him, then we need to identify with him in the same way publicly that Jesus identified with him in his baptism. And so we need to do it. And if you've never done it, you need to do it. You need to be baptized as soon as you can. Because as long as you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and have trusted him for salvation, as long as you don't do what he has told you to do, there will be something between you. It will disrupt you. There will always be a problem between you and God until you choose to do what God has told you to do. And so if you've never been baptized before, that is the next thing for you to do. It's a little bit... um, Baptism, there's nothing mystical or magical about it, okay? But to me, it's a little bit like a wedding, a wedding ceremony. Not like we have today, because today, the way weddings work is that we get engaged, and that's just an informal agreement between two people uh, with the exchange of rings, which is just collateral, right, for the relationship. And so uh, we... (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm so romantic. All right. You know, we get engaged. It's an informal agreement, and it's not legal until you actually have the ceremony and sign the document, right? That's when it's legal, legal. But in their society, a marriage was legal as soon as the two people were betrothed to each other. So you were betrothed to each other, and you were legally obligated to one another. You would need a divorce in order to break that, that relationship. But you would get betrothed, and then the husband, the bridegroom, would go back home, probably to his parents' house, and start building an addition onto the parents' house. And he would build the spot and prepare the spot for them to live, and he would get things in order so they were ready to be married. And then whenever he was ready, he would come back and he would get his bride. And when he came back to get the bride, and she didn't even know oftentimes when he was coming. That's a whole thing in Scripture. All right, there's stories about that. But when he would come back to get his bride, then they would go, they would have the official ceremony, they would have the feast, and they would go back and live together at the house. So the moment they're betrothed, they are married. But they don't experience the fullness of marriage and all the benefits of marriage and the joy and the partnership and the teamwork of marriage until they actually have the ceremony. Now, I don't think you should run too far with this analogy because it's not one that Jesus gave. I'm just offering it as a way of thinking about this. That we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and when we accept him and trust him for salvation based on his work on the cross and in the resurrection, then we are his, and we will be with each other for all of eternity. But until we are willing to publicly declare our faith in Jesus through baptism, We don't experience all of the joy and fullness and teamwork and partnership that God has to offer in our life. And so there's something missing between us. It's like we have one foot in the door in a way, even though our relationship with him is secure. And Jesus, when he chose to be baptized and identify himself publicly as God's child and as the Messiah, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And I want you to know that every baptism I've ever been a part of has been a beautiful, beautiful moment. There's something really, really special that happens in a baptism. I'm excited that we get to do it today. Uh, We have 
We can do it anytime, by the way. Anytime you want to be baptized, we'll do it. We can find water. I have a pool in my backyard, all right? You can come over, and we'll do it there, all right? But um, anytime. But today, we have several people that are going to be baptized, and maybe more if one of you decides that you want to be baptized today as well. When Jesus stepped down into the water, here's what happened. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, and I want to point out, this is just an interesting thing for, like, curious. Uh, the three 16s in Scripture are very interesting. <laughs> if you go through the Gospels and you read John 3.16 and Matthew 3.16, and there are some interesting ones, but this is Matthew 3.16. When he had been baptized, so they'd been lowered into the water, raised out. When he had been baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. This is a public act of identification. It's interesting, this is one of the few times in Scripture where you see the Trinity all in one place at one time. You have Jesus in the water. You have the Spirit descending And then we're going to hear from the Father in just a moment. We're getting there. (laughs) But they're all in the same place at the same time. By being baptized, Jesus went down into the water and he said, I am with them. I am with them. Baptism um, is to immerse. uh, That's what the word actually means. Baptizo means to immerse in. Uh, which is why we take people and lower them down into water and raise them back out. It's the best representation of what the word is. I famously have heard the story, and maybe you've heard it as well. The analogy, the other places that this word was used by people in this culture. One of the ways that it was used was in the process of dyeing fabric. You know, they would have to take their fabric, and they would weave it together, and then they would have to put it into a dye in order to color it if they wanted colored fabric. Today, we just go to Kohl's, uh, and it's already done for us. But uh, they had to do it themselves. And so uh, when they would explain uh, how to dye fabric, if you look at the, the explanation of that process, you'll see this word. Because you have to take the garment and you baptizo the garment into the dye. You lower it down into the dye. And when that fabric comes back out, it is now fully identified with the dye. You can't separate those two. It is fully identified. And so the idea of immersing in is the idea of identifying with or connecting. And so that is what we are doing when we are baptized. And so Jesus did this. The heavens were open. The Spirit descended like a dove, alighting upon him. And then in verse 17, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so this was Jesus saying, I'm with him, and this was the Father saying, he's with me. He's with me. This is my son. And I'll tell you that when you you get baptized as a believer, um, nothing, it's not mystical, it's, it's not magical, but it is something special. It is something different. And all of you that have been baptized, I'm sure you will agree with this statement, will testify to this. And I remember years and years, I still remember my baptism. I was six years old. I don't remember a lot of things from when I was six years old. But I remember my baptism. I remember it like it was yesterday. 
It was in the old chapel uh, above where my father was a pastor, and we had the new building, the new fancy building. But we had the old chapel. It was all wood and trusses and all of this, and that's where the baptistry was. It was built in. It was a Baptist church, so you got to have a baptistry built in. And uh, so it was built in up there. And I got down into the tub, and I was too short for the baptistry. <laughs> it was too deep. I was six years old, and so there's a cinder block. <laughs> and so I remember stepping up onto that cinder block, and I remember my father asking me. He was, he's the one who baptized me. I remember him asking me if I believed in Jesus, if I trusted him for salvation. He might have said, if you asked him into your heart, which is how we understood that when we were younger. It's often how we understand that as we're younger. And uh, I said, yes. And he said, do you want to be baptized today to symbolize your relationship with Jesus? And I said, yes. And he took me and he lowered me under the water and raised me back out. And I don't know how to describe this. You, you know what it feels like if you've been baptized, if you remember that moment. But when you come out, you feel different. You feel fresh. You feel clean. You feel new. You feel transformed in some way. And I think the reason for that is that the disconnect that's existed between you and God up until that point has now been removed. And there's a peace and a joy that happens in obedience to God that can't be expressed or experienced other ways. And so you feel this relief when you come out of the water. And there may be some of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior, but you've never been baptized, and you may feel a bit of that tension. Well, that's the way to relieve it, is to step in faith and obedience and be baptized the way that Jesus demonstrated for you, the way he commanded the disciples to do, and the way he wants us to do. The Spirit is saying, this is next. This is next. And baptism might be the most important step you ever take in your fellowship with God, to be publicly identified with him, to do the same thing that Jesus did which is incredible. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, how to identify with him in an ongoing way. We'll talk about communion next week. But baptism is the starting point. Starting point. Full, open commitment to God. Nothing holding you back. Listen, if you haven't ever been baptized before, why not? What What could possibly be holding you back from that? I know some people say they feel like um, they're not ready yet. Wrong. (laughs) Opposite, the opposite of that. If you don't take this step of faithfulness, all your other steps of faithfulness that you think you need to do in order to be ready to be baptized will be harder for you. Take the step of baptism and be faithful in that, and then God, it will be easier for you to do all those other things, the things that God does want to do and change in your life as you repent of sin and turn away from it and become more and more like Jesus. So take the first step, which is baptism, and then work from there. Don't think you have to work up to baptism. There is no qualification for it other than faith in Jesus. That's it. So don't let that hold you back. Some of you, maybe you don't want to, you haven't been baptized because it hasn't been the right time. Let me take that away from you. It's the right time. It's the right, the right time is now. The right time is as soon as possible. The right time was right after you accepted Christ as your Savior. So I don't know how long it's been since then, but now is the time. Some of you want to wait until you have family or friends or whatever present. 
We'll take pictures, okay? Obedience to Jesus is more important than who is there to watch it when it happens, okay? So follow him in faith and do it. All right. Some of you, you don't want to do it because you didn't bring a towel. Okay. We have them. All right, we got you covered. Don't let that hold you back. Don't let anything stand in the way of being faithful to Jesus. And so if you have never done it before, do it. And for those of you that have been baptized, you have done this. You know what it's like. You know what a big deal it is. And so I want to encourage you to join with us as we do it together as a church. It's such an awesome moment. You know, doing what we do, and a lot of you, you serve on teams and you're part of groups and you have a lot of things going on here in the church. A lot of times it's hard to see change happening in people's lives. And so you put in all of this effort as a part of the church and you don't often get to see a tangible result. Baptism is one of those times where we get to see it right in front of us. People who are taking that step of faithfulness. And so when we get together, we celebrate that. We enjoy each other's company. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of it, to take the step if that's right for you, and then come and encourage and support those who do today. It's such an incredible moment for us. Such an incredible moment to see people raise their hand and they say, I'm with him. I'm with him. My life is his. What an incredible, incredible moment to identify with the king of the universe and to know that in that moment he is looking at you as his child thankful that you were willing to take a step of obedience to identify with him. How beautiful. And so what I want to do, if you really want to honor Christ, follow in his footsteps, this is the start. And so let's take a moment, let's pray together. I'm just going to ask God to move in our heart and let us know what he wants us to do today, what our response to this is. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Your grace demonstrated for us on the cross. The fact that we, sinful, fallen people, could be loved by you. Accepted, even, even in our failure. That you would give your life, Jesus, for us. That you would pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. It's beyond, beyond comprehension, but we know it's true. That you would give your life for us, paying for our sin. That you would demonstrate your power in the resurrection, rising back to life and to know that just as you were raised, we too will be raised, that we have eternal life. God, I pray that someone today might put their faith in you for the first time, trust in you for salvation for the first time today. Stop trusting in themselves or in their works. But trust in you. To put their faith in you. And God, we know that when we do that, you want us to declare that publicly. Jesus, you want us to follow you and do what you have done. And it begins with baptism. Your public ministry began with baptism. And so, God, I pray that through the Spirit, you would speak to believers in the room who haven't taken that step and confirm to them this is next. This is what you want. And that they would step forward in obedience. 
so that they can experience the fullness of a relationship with you. So that they can honor you with their life. As they faithfully follow Jesus. Jesus, I, I thank you so much for each person here that you've saved. It's identified with you as we work together and support and encourage each other in our faith. Help us, draw us closer to each other. As we continue to understand what it means for us to, to follow, to listen, to repent, to change. to understand what it means to, to live in relationships with each other that are honoring to you, to live in a relationship with you that brings you honor and glory. To take our life, set it on the firm foundation of Jesus. And I ask God, you show each of us individually what it is for us, what is next, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? So that through our life, as humble as it is, you would be glorified. And so in all of it, God, we offer it to you. Decisions, choices, steps. All for your glory. Comfort us. Give us peace. Give us joy. In your name as we follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.